Good morning. Let's turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we'll be picking up in chapter 3. Just as we, read, we, let, we sang in that song just a few minutes ago, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which, is, which I've committed unto him until, until that day. That's actually right from the Second Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have, I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. For these things I suffer these things. For this reason, I suffer these things. <clears throat> and as I study the book of Timothy, the second, second Timothy, I am convinced more and more as I read through it that the book is a letter with a call to suffering. The call to suffering. Now, I, can't, I wouldn't say it's the whole theme of the book, but it is a good portion of the book. We know that Paul is writing in the midst of a prison cell. He's inside of, he's shackled, to the, to the wall in a prison, and is awaiting possibly his death at this time. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel and is now being treated like he is a criminal. And because of that, because of the, um, the opposition from the Jews and from, the, from those who, who did not believe the gospel, he was being persecuted and he was suffering affliction from them. It was now becoming a crime to preach the gospel. It was now against the law to, to speak about Christ. And believers everywhere were being persecuted. They were being dragged from their homes and they were being tortured and beaten and thrown into prison. And many killed. And Paul suffered greatly for the, the gospel. He endured so much persecution. And Paul writes this letter in the confines of his prison cell. And he encourages Timothy, join me in my sufferings. Join me in the persecutions for the sake of the gospel. He says in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, follow me, follow after what I've done. You've patterned your life so closely after mine. Now follow me also in suffering. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And it seems that Timothy has grown discouraged or fearful of, of what's to come. He may have felt um, ashamed of preaching the gospel at times because of the consequences of doing so. Seeing how Paul has been thrown into prison now that might affect what happens to me. I might be thrown into prison. I might be beaten. I might be, suffer different things for this. And Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel. But Paul doesn't come back with him with a sympathetic gesture. He's, he actually encourages him to join him in the sufferings. He doesn't say, you know, maybe we were too bold with the gospel. Maybe we, we spoke too strongly and preached too much and just took it too far. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't be ashamed of the chains that I'm in. Don't be ashamed. This is what's expected. This is what will happen to believers who preach the gospel and who, 
who stand on the Lord Jesus Christ. And another reason that Paul, that Timothy shouldn't be afraid is that it is the truth that you're preaching. There's no reason to be ashamed because what you're proclaiming is what God has delivered to us. We shouldn't be afraid or embarrassed to proclaim it to anybody. And as you look through the, next, through, the, through the book of Timothy, we look at the people that should be ashamed of what they're preaching and teaching. And these are the false teachers that we've seen so many times who, who misuse the word of God and twist it and, and contradict it to, to say things for their own means and for their own gain, their own purposes. These are dishonorable, disapproved workers who should be ashamed at what they're teaching. Yet they are the bold ones here. But the plea is here, Timothy, step up. Don't be so ashamed. Be bold for Christ. It is the truth. And then it is that Timothy must present himself approved to God, not approved to men. So let's pick up where we are left off last in 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. It says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out, of all, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and apostles will, imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This section begins and starts off by saying to Timothy, but you. The plead and the, and the call to Timothy is clear. But you. He's contrasting, contrasting that with what was said in the previous passage, what, what Sam went through. It's the, it's the men, the evil men, the posters that we they read about. They are the, the men that are characterized by evil. These are the type of people to avoid. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. They're brutal. They're despisers of good, traitor, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they have a form of godliness but deny its power. And this is what will be characteristic of men in the last days. Specifically, these are, these are traits that are evident in professing believers. That's surprising. It's a shocking truth that we'll, we'll be seeing more and more prevalent today. And we do see that prevalent today. Those who profess to believe the gospel, but they deny the reality of true saving faith. Their life, their ungodly characteristics and their lifestyle prove that they don't know the Lord. But the warning is clear to Timothy. Turn away and avoid these people. Separate yourself from these. You are to be different. You are to be one who handles the truth correctly. You are to be the one who um, shuns ungodliness and 
pursues godliness in his life. Don't be influenced from them and stay away. And Paul says to Timothy here, he says, but you have carefully followed, and he gives a list of different attributes that he has followed. And I want to talk about two different aspects that we see in Timothy um, from this, so what we can gain from this. There's the mentor aspect, and then there's the student aspect. We have, um, in chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. And there's the idea there of, of discipleship, that Paul has mentored and discipled Timothy throughout his life, and then that Timothy is now to train other younger men, and that the succession will continue throughout the generations. And here, Paul is a living example to Timothy, where Timothy was able to carefully follow his life. And no doubt that Timothy, as he was going along, working alongside of him, saw many different attributes and many different lessons and examples that Paul had shown him. He, pro- he probably saw him how he preached the gospel at different cities and how he encouraged saints and, uh, and, and just instructed the brethren in the, in the truth of the word of God. He probably saw him combat false teachers and stand up for the truth. He was a living example. And Paul is setting the bar here for the, the ideal for mentors, for those who are going to disciple younger men. Paul emphasizes over and over in the epistles to imitate me. Believers should imitate him. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17 says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you, have, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul had a living example that people could imitate, that people could could look at and see how they can also live a godly Christian life. Now those of you who desire to to train younger men, to, to be that godly example, ask yourself this question, is my life worth imitating? Is my life worth imitating? Is your life marked by strong character that you would want others to follow? Now there's the other side of it, the student aspect. Young Timothy's here. Young believers here. Timothy is a good observer. He's a man who pays careful, close attention to the life of Paul. And Timothy worked alongside for many years, studying him. He was diligent by looking at the example. But he doesn't just know these things about Paul. He actually took them and applied them to his life. And that's why Paul can say about Timothy, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. He, He writes this to a church. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. 
For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Timothy knew the heart and the mind that Paul had. He was like-minded. Timothy also had that special care and that love that Paul had for the churches. Timothy saw that in Paul, and he also showed that when he went to the churches. He had the genuine care for them. And Paul could trust that whatever was done by Timothy would have been exactly how he would have done it. It would remind them, it would be a potent reminder to them of what Paul had done as if Paul was there in his shoes. And in the same passage we read just just a few uh, minutes ago, he says, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways. He will, a, a good student will follow an example, a good godly example, and it will remind, it will, they will follow the ways of that person. Timothy patterned his life so closely at him that he was like a clone of Paul. He was like a, a replica of Paul. And today you might hear people saying, well, man, that, that person over there, he's, he's such a copycat. He's, such, he's, he's just, like a, just like so-and-so over there. Let me tell you, that there is nothing wrong with being a copycat. It's okay. Paul tells him to imitate me. There's nothing wrong with being a copycat. If you're going to copy anyone, you might as well make sure that you copy someone that's worth imitating. It's not wrong to be a copycat if you're a replica of the right person. But they aren't told to imitate Paul for no reason. He wasn't asked to imitate Paul for no reason. Because Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So that's the key. That's the key right there. That Paul was imitating the Lord, that he was following the example that the Lord had given him and all the things that he had been taught from the Lord. And so he was a reflection of, Paul was a reflection of the Lord. And Timothy was imitating Paul. And so in a sense, he was imitating the Lord. But he having, having a godly example right in front of him to, to grasp and to understand what that's like. And there's no better person in the, in the world to imitate your life after than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also a good basis for young Timothys today to seek and desire for somebody who has godly characteristics to model their life after. If you're looking for a godly example to, to imitate, look for a believer who imitates Christ. Their life should be a reflection of the love of the Savior, the compassion and the kindness and the sufferings that he went through. Timothy played, paid close attention in following all of these areas, and we, we have a list of them. His doctrine. He followed his doctrine, his manner of life, his purpose, his faith, his long-suffering, his love, his persecution, and his afflictions. I don't believe that Paul necessarily taught him in an academic sense, but I believe that he taught him by learning by watching him. And the best Christianity is not only taught, but it also is caught by seeing it lived out in others. 
And one of the first things that he lists here is that he has followed Paul's doctrine. He's followed Paul's doctrine. And that's a good one to start with, isn't it? Because that's one of the first areas that false teachers and many people go wrong. Why is doctrine so important? Solid doctrine is foundational to what we believe about the Word of God, about who Jesus is, about um, salvation. Sound doctrine is essential. And he, and he is learning from the source. He's learning from an apostle who had learned it from the Lord. That's who taught Paul. Where did Paul receive his teachings? It says in Galatians, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4.16 also says, to take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. It comes down to what we believe and to ultimately to base every teaching on, on the Scripture. And in verse 16 of this passage, it says that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. It's the, re- it's the reason why Paul lived the way he lived. What you believe will determine the way that you live your life. Paul's doctrine would translate into the way he would live his life. And it flowed to his manner of living. Paul lived out what he preached. And he firmly believed it. And it was proved and shown through his conduct. Paul's main purpose in life was that he was saved from persecuting the church. Sorry, Paul's main purpose before he was saved was that he was persecuting the church. He would drag men and women from their homes and throw them in jail and into prison. He was a very religious extremist, man who was ambitious and following the letter of the law. Then the Lord saved him and changed his life around, and he gave him a purpose. And his purpose went from persecuting the church to being a member of the church, being persecuted. And then he built up the churches. He preached the gospel to all the different uh, the areas in the, uh, in the surrounding areas and to the churches in the areas. Ever, everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. And he, his life motto would be, could be summed up in a few different verses. 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He lived his life for the sake of the gospel. And in Philippians 1.21, he says, to, for, me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me ask you this morning, what is your purpose for living? What is your purpose for living? If you're a believer, you are saved from your sins. You have been saved from the wretched, sinful life that you've lived. And the Lord has now given you a purpose in life. We haven't been saved just to live comfortably, to enjoy ourselves. Paul knew that we, he, he must preach the gospel and that he must have a purpose in his life. And Paul could 
Timothy could clearly see that in his life. What is your purpose in life? And can others clearly see that? Are you that example that people can clearly see? I know what his purpose is in life. It's to honor the Lord. It's to preach the gospel. Next we see his faith. And I love seeing examples of faith. It has always been encouraging to me. I love hearing real life stories and, and seeing examples of people who have lived a life of faith, trusting in the Lord for, um, for, for their needs and for also in, the, in their ministry and seeing the Lord answer those prayers. I remember reading stories of Brother Andrew, who was a, who was a missionary, who would go and smuggle in Bibles into communist countries. And there were countless stories in his life how he relied upon the Lord, coming from the, the simple things of trusting the Lord for toothpaste, after he had scraped off all the toothpaste in his tube as much as possible. And he only had basically the equivalent of $1 in his pocket when toothpaste was $2. And he prayed to the Lord and says, Lord, I just need toothpaste. And he goes to the store and it says, toothpaste, half off. And then he goes to the, to the, uh, the other side in his ministry when he's smuggling in Bibles. And the Lord took, um, as he's going through the border patrol, those, those men who are against Bibles coming into the country, the Lord blinded their eyes as they searched through the cars when the Bibles were open in plain sight. Faith. Faith in God. And Paul had that example that Timothy could, could see. And, and Timothy also saw his long suffering. And it's evident in the sufferings that Paul went through and the patience that was produced through that. Paul caught those attributes. And the final areas is of Paul's example was his persecutions and afflictions. Do you remember what happened to Paul at those places? We have Iconium, we have Lystra, and Antioch. What happened to him at Antioch? Well, there was, Paul came in there with his, with his uh, men, and they went into the synagogues and preached the gospel to the, to the Jews. And then the Gentiles heard it, and they started begging them and said, preach the gospel to us. We want to hear this gospel. And soon the whole city had gathered around and come together. And then the Jews noticed this, and, and they started getting jealous. And, and they wanted to contradict what was being taught. And so they started um, saying things and, and, and putting, getting those men on the other side and, and polluting their thinking. And as they continued to preach, though, they, they did see Gentiles get saved. But the Jews grew worse and worse, and they formed up a group to persecute them. And then they, had to end, they ended up kicking them out of the city. So then they fled to Iconium. And what happened at Iconium? What kind of persecution did they face there? Well, the men, Paul and his men came to the synagogue again and preached the word of God. And many Jews and Greeks believed. But then the Jews that didn't believe started polluting the minds of those who didn't believe yet either. And so they, they had two different groups. They had those who didn't believe and those who followed the apostles. And they poisoned the minds of them. 
But they stayed there for a long time. They, they continued in it, even with persecution, even with opposition. They stuck it out and continued to pre- uh, preach the gospel. And they saw many saved as they, as they were there. And then the persecution got worse as they gathered men together to get, to get ready to stone them. And so they fled and left. They fled to Lystra. And at Lystra, now Lystra is the hometown of Timothy. That was the hometown of Timothy. And when they arrived there, Paul healed a crippled man. And then the, the men of the, the town, they thought they were gods, and so they wanted to bring them in and sacrifice to them. And it's interesting that the, uh, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium had followed them along the way, and they came there and then started convincing the men that these guys were, were bad. And so they rose up a persecution against them, and they actually stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, and left him as if, as if he were a dead man. They probably thought he was dead. But Paul says, even through all of this, he says, out of, the, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Even though he actually went through persecution, he says, the Lord delivered me. How is that so? Well, the Lord doesn't, he didn't prevent him from actually facing persecution and from suffering. But the Lord did help Paul through the suffering. And that's what the Lord does. He helps us through our sufferings. He will see you to the end if you endure for his sake. Even still, Paul was writing this in the, in the jail. He was writing this in the jail, likely awaiting his death sentence. And we know that he was murdered or was martyred for his faith. Yet it, even in death, Paul could see that the Lord will deliver him even in the best way. Because he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So even if you are killed, the Lord will deliver you and you will have a much greater um, end to be home with the Lord forever. And Paul was known for risking his life. He was known for risking his life for the Lord Jesus. In the U.S., we aren't really faced with that level of persecution. We aren't faced with that level of um, suffering that Paul has went through. But I'd like to ask you this. Are, are you willing to risk your friendships for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or your, your family for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to risk your job for the Lord Jesus Christ? There may be something that you say to a friend or to a family member or to somebody at your job or, to, or that you stand up for something at your job that gets you fired. Are you willing to do that for the sake of Christ? Would you be willing to risk your life for the sake of Christ? And in verse 12, it says this, very interesting. It says, yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does that come as a shock to hear that? 
Did you know that it is God's will that we suffer? Did you know that it's God's will that we suffer? I remember in, uh, when we started up uh, the, the young, the young uh, group or the young uh, people's Bible study, Ask Us, it started off by us um, really trying to dig, dig into the scripture and answer tough questions like, why does the Lord, why does God allow suffering in this world? Or why does, um, how do we know the will of God? And that was one of the questions we asked. How do we know the will of God? And as we studied through that and, to, and looked through the scripture for an answer on that, there are, there are a couple of things in the scripture where it actually clearly states, this is the will of God. Like in 1 Thessalonians where it talks about, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality. It's clearly stated right there, this is the will of God for you. And in the other aspect of the will of God, another, another aspect was suffering. And that was a surprise to me, that God wills our suffering. It says in 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And in Philippians 1.29-30, it says, For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. It's a stark contrast to the men that we read about in verses 2 through 4, the ungodly men who were lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. But these won't, these won't be the people who suffer persecution. These, these are ungodly people. But a godly man and a godly woman they will suffer persecution. And they are, we are called to suffer for persecution. But isn't that what true discipleship is all about? Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew? Where he says, this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there are you know, in the U.S., we don't suffer that kind of persecution, the life-threatening persecution. But today, we do see other parts of the world where Christians are faced with heavy, harsh persecution, where they are even killed. Christians are beaten, beaten, tortured, kidnapped, and beheaded for their faith. We may not face the same level of persecution here, but those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus, they will face persecution. Whether you are a missionary to a heathen country that is heavily opposed to the gospel, or you are a Christian in the, U- in the United States, persecution will come. It will, be- it will come based on the life that you live. It's the kind of life that makes no compromise when it comes to the message of salvation. It's the kind of life that is lived, it's the kind of life of a Christian that lives differently from the world. It has different standards, different goals, different desires. And it is so much different that it is as different as life, as light is different than darkness. This way of life, the world doesn't understand. It's a godly lifestyle. The more Christ-like that you are like, 
the more the world will ridicule you when you make stances on issues. And there are issues today which, when you make stances on, you will be ridiculed for. When you make biblical stances on abortion or on gay marriage or divorce, you can't hardly be scoffed at, hardly not be scoffed at, because the world accepts these as normal. And it's at moments like these that the Lord gives us opportunities to say something, to stand up. And we have one of two options. We can either cower back in fear and say nothing at all. Or we can make a stand and say, you know, that isn't right. That isn't what the Lord says. That isn't what the Bible teaches. The world must see a difference in us. And Timothy had a similar dilemma there. Some of the men in the church were opposed to the word of God, and he had two options. He could be ashamed of the gospel. He could be ashamed of what he's speaking. Paul keeps saying, don't be ashamed of those things. He could cower back in fear. And if he just doesn't say anything at all, he won't get any flack. He won't have any persecution, and things will be easy. Or he can make a stand like Paul has done in his life and endure the persecution that comes along with it. And persecution was not a mystery to Paul. Paul was close relative to persecution. In uh, 2 Corinthians, he lists all of the persecutions that he faced. He says that in labors more abundant, in stripes above measures, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for, the church, for all the churches. Jesus said that we would, be facing, we would face persecution. And he says in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. No one enjoys suffering. No one enjoys suffering. But what good can come out of suffering? What benefit is there from our suffering? Why do we go through suffering as believers? Romans 8.28 says, And we know all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We can be comforted in the fact that we may not know all the reasons, but God has a purpose in our suffering. God has an end result. There's also other reasons that God is doing in our, with our persecution. He's developing perseverance and long-suffering. Romans 5.3 5, 5, says, But we also glory in tribulations, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, perseverance character, 
and character hope. Through suffering, our patience and our, and our perseverance is being tested in order to produce character and hope. The Lord uses these trials and these sufferings to mature us as believers and to strengthen our faith in him and our reliance upon him. Another reason for suffering is that we suffer so we can comfort others who suffer. We suffer so we can comfort others that go through suffering and difficulties. That may be the sole reason that you go through a trial and a difficulty as a believer. So that at one point down in the road, you might be able to come alongside somebody and say, you know, I've been just in your shoes. And comfort them with words and comfort them with the word of God that was encouraging to you at the time. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 1-4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in, our tribu- in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Someone famous once said, God wants us to be comforters, not comfortable. He also uses persecution and trials so that we come to him and we rely upon his word. And in the midst of all these sufferings, Paul reminds Timothy in verses 14, he says, but you, cont- you must continue in the things which, which you learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells him to continue in these things, continue in the Word of God. We know that as a young child, Timothy's mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, they taught him the word of God. They read to him Bible stories. And because of what they taught him, Timothy was made wise for salvation through the scriptures. As a kid, I remember going through, um, I remember my mom reading to me Bible stories and learning about different different stories in the Bible, the Garden of Eden and David and Goliath and Jesus, all these different things. And I remember also being encouraged by my parents, my, my mom and my dad, to, to really memorize the scripture. And as a, as a young kid, I, I memorized Philemon's. Um, and I, I, I memorized the, various psalms in there. And it was through their encouragement that I studied and memorized uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which today, even today, I can draw upon that. And there are many times which those, that, those verses pop into my mind, which I, can, which I can use in different situations and circumstances. I want to encourage mothers and grandmothers here who have young kids, continue to influence their lives. Continue to influence them in the word of God. It will be a well of wisdom for them that they can draw upon in their later lives. And the impact that you have is eternal because it says that it is wisdom that you can impart to them. You know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom that you can impart to a child. There's, 
You can make one wise for cars, wise for money, wise for in education. They can be wise for cooking, wise in computers. But the one thing that passes, that surpasses them all, is being wise for salvation. That is the best wisdom you can have. And this wisdom only can come through the knowledge of the scriptures. And the Bible in and of itself isn't the part that saves us, but it is through the Bible that one can learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he can put his faith in him. And now that Timothy has grown up, he can still look back at his childhood, look back at what he's learned, and he can draw upon the stories and the Bible lessons that he learned from his grandmother, the faith that he had seen in his mother and even from Paul. And with evil men arising and deceiving people, it is critical for him to know the word of God. That letter was written roughly 2,000 years ago. If these things were happening in in Timothy's day, in Paul's day, what should be expected today? It says in verse 13 that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. It won't be getting any better anytime soon. Don't expect the world to grow into a place that just gets better and better. We don't see that here. We see the opposite. We see things getting, going from worse to worse and worse. So that it's even more critical to make a stand, to stand up for the gospel. Because these men are deceiving others and they themselves are deceived. They, they have believed the lie that they have been taught or have been teaching for so long that they actually believe it now and have been deceived. They've been duped. These are the kind of men that you don't want to imitate. So the call is clear. If we are going to stand for the truth, we will face persecutions. Our message must be unwavering. It must be founded in the word of God, and there isn't any room for us to compromise. I want to close with a quote from John MacArthur. God, he says, God wants you to face this hostile world with such godly fashion, living such a godly life, that it will bring reproach and scorn and difficulty from friends and family and whoever. All of that suffering will cause God to perfect you. And he reminds us in Ephesians, James, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And in 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Living such a righteous life in an unrighteous world, that the unrighteous world reacts when confronted by such virtue and such devotion and such truth as we live and proclaim Christ. It is the will of God that you suffer for doing what is right, that you may be humbled and strengthened. And I close with Romans eight seventeen. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The results of suffering for Christ are worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the 
encouragement in your word. Lord, we, we look at the life of Paul and Timothy. We look at the example that we can learn from those two men. Lord, men who had been, who, had gone, who went through such persecution, such difficulties in life, Lord, for your sake. And we're unwavering for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we pray that we might be men and women who look to godly examples to follow, Lord, to be in a godly example that is worth following, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you might give us the strength to, to stand up against false teachers, to stand up against those who oppose the truth, Lord, that we might, have, that we might boldly proclaim your word, Lord, even if it means suffering for you, Lord. And we would count it all joy. Lord, we pray that we might have that mindset that Paul and Timothy had, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.